Welcome to Doc9 Tech Talks. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Ying Tan, who is the founder and chief executive of Dynamo. Ying founded Dynamo in 2006 and has grown the company into one of the UK's leading mortgage brokers um, and got quite a big focus on using new technology to transform the mortgage process. So I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk to him today. So firstly, Ying, thanks for joining us. Um, do you want to start by giving us a bit of background about yourself and Dynamo? Yes, certainly. And thank you. Uh, really uh, delighted to be uh, here on your podcast, Mark, and uh, you know, thank you for inviting me and allowing me to uh, kind of tell you a bit about my story and uh, where we come from. So, um, yeah, so I guess it starts um, in um, probably 1996, really, when I, I graduated from university. Uh, my background is um, ex-investment banking, Deutsche Bank, uh, UBS, Goldman Sachs. I'm very proud of being one of the youngest vice presidents of Goldman Sachs, also a qualified accountant. So I'm not your typical mortgage broker, but I kind of stumbled on mortgage broking, I guess. Um, when I quit investment banking in 2001, I became a full-time property landlord, uh, built up quite a substantial property portfolio. Um, but I encountered lots of different headaches um, in that I was going to my mortgage broker, tell them what to do, when to do, and how to do it. And I thought, blimey, if this is the best mortgage world can offer me uh, at the time anyway, um, then I should set up myself. I knew I didn't want to go back into the city. I missed the buzz of the city. Um, but I also knew it was time for me to move away from just being a landlord and a developer because, you know, I was still in my mid to late 20s. I'd um, done a lot of... Um, property projects um, and uh, dealing with tenants, with builders, etc. But but I missed the buzz of, of kind of a, an office role, so to speak. So I did that and um, I set the business up in 2006, me, me myself and I, um, in a small Regis office in Guildford. And um, I grew it very quickly in the first couple of years. Um, 2006, 2008 was, was really booming. Credit crunch hit. Um, we got to about 30 staff, downsized about three or four. And I was at a crossroads. Do I continue? Uh, the other directors at the time decided, you know, this wasn't uh, feasible or economically viable for them. So they uh, moved on. Uh, so I acquired the whole business um, and decided to uh, pursue my dreams and continue to grow it. Um, the first few years were really tough, not wanting to get the violin out, but, you know, didn't pay ourselves. You know, it was uh, very touch and go uh, whether the business could be sustainable. I was lucky enough. I had my property portfolio that was yielding a good rental income. Interest rates were low. So I was able to uh, bankroll my my uh, modest lifestyle uh, via rental income. Um, but um, I still had the vision of growing the business and, and there was definitely a market for it. And as the market started to return to normality, we kind of grew. And I guess at Dynamo, we're very much dynamic entrepreneur, innovative organization. Um, we're, we're passionate about people, uh, clients centric. Um, we've got over 2000 uh, five-star trust pilot reviews. Um, and we're very proud of the culture that we built. I think that's one of the things that people in the industry always comments on when they come to our office, you know, pre-COVID, that the, that the buzz and the environment is really second to none. Um, and we're very proud of our academy. You know, 95% of our staff that have joined us are people who have joined from um, non-financial services backgrounds. So we take them on, whether you're an MBA graduate from Harvard, uh, we get very few of those, uh, or a burger flipper from McDonald's, we get a fair few of those. Um, you know, we're likely to give you the opportunity if you've got the right mindset and attitude. And that's the key. If you've got the right mindset and attitude, because we can train uh, how mortgages work. It's not a particularly complex subject, um, but it's a lot harder to kind of teach the mindset and attitude. So uh, we take people on, train them through an academy and then hopefully turn them into to great uh, mortgage consultants. We've got some great stories of ex-policemen, barmen, you know, waiters and, and, and uh, shop uh, retailers um, and, and have gone and built great career. And I guess... Um, Fast forward a little bit further, Dynamo um, was previously called the Buy to Let business and we rebranded in uh, about two years ago now. 
Um, we uh, got investment from Countrywide, uh, which is a, was a FTSE 250 business at the time. Um, and, um, you know, the rebranding was something that I was very keen on doing for two, two reasons, really. One, to kind of showcase that we are more than just a buy-to-let broker, which we certainly are. We're, we've got a strength and presence in the residential sector now, uh, commercial, second charges, life insurance, GI, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes we were a victim of our own success because our DNA is very much buy-to-let. Uh, but we wanted to showcase a bit more about that. But also, I wanted to uh, evolve into our name when we uh, started our digital transformation journey to you know, move away from this just we're a buy-to-let telephone-based broker when a lot of what we've done is just technology-driven. Um, and we wanted a name which could reflect that uh, a little bit more. And uh, when the opportunity came to rebrand Dynamo, I grasped it with both hands and haven't looked back. And very proud over the last year or two, we've ratified those decisions. One, we won the best overall broker at Mortgage Strategy Awards, which showcases that we're not just a one trick pony with buy to let. And secondly, we won a technology and innovation award at um, a national award recently, which again showcased our, our kind of improvement and, and, and advancement in technology. So, Hope I haven't gone on too much, but that's a little bit of a background about myself and the business uh, to give some context to, to where we are today. And, you know, we now have, you know, uh, one of the largest mortgage brokers in the UK, um, do three billion pounds of mortgage business across the direct to consumer side and the, the B2B side. We're a mortgage club um, as well as a packager. So we've got a number of different strings to our bow, uh, which allows us to keep ticking over. Cool. That's a good one. I know there's a lot of history to unpack this. It's a, it's a good, good summary. Um, so I guess... The key thing there is that you've been on the journey from startup and now a really well established incumbent, I guess. Uh, I've no doubt seen over those years some of the full storms before in terms of mortgage technology innovation. Um, from your sort of point of view, how do you see technology changing the mortgage customer experience in the coming years? It's key. You know, ultimately, we are all in business to get the best possible customer journey. Um, you know, and that is, uh, if you remember the story I was just saying, you know, it was my poor experience as a customer which forced me to, to set the business up so that's that's clearly important um, and I think technology uh, will uh, it absolutely has to uh, you know change the customer experience you know we the word API has been floating around for about four or five years now but you know reality is whatever you called it you know we've been using APIs for, for many years you know we get our, our leads originating online and they inject directly into our system um, and, and and I guess you know an involvement of that is to kind of get our data in our systems injecting into uh, lender system that's nothing new you know that was around with a couple of platforms uh, in the early days but i guess the credit crunch uh, mm. stopped a lot of the development and technology and uh, when when businesses were struggling um but certainly in the last four or five years with the arrival of, of some really big vc and pe money that's really kind of kick-started things again but i think in answer to your question you know technology you know will absolutely change and is already changing the customer experience if you think of avms during the pandemic um well we're still in a pandemic but lockdown one it took a while, but, you know, the speed at which lenders started embracing AVMs um, and, and desktop valuations, you know, was amazing. And, and the question is, can we build from that? You know, can we continue to use the technology we've been forced to use by the pandemic to help build a better customer experience for, 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 for clients full stop? And I think clearly AVMs and desktop valuations for the right type of property at the right lender values surely have to be the way forward because it makes things quicker. And ultimately, if we go back to the customer, what do they want? They want a mortgage offer as quickly as possible. And the lender wants to do it without uh, increasing their risk unnecessarily. So it makes sense. And, and if you think of things like open banking, you know, uh, think of all the documentation that we request for, you know, um, I think um, mortgages, you know, a file, if it was paper-based, you know, thankfully we're not paper-based, but if it was, it would probably be a file that thick um, with all the paperwork you'd need. So 
you know, and a lot of that is your bank statements, your pay slips. Um, and, and if we have the ability with customer consent to go into a bank and, and get all that data, mm. there's also a lot less work to do from a reconciliation perspective, because a lot of what we do is reconciling what we've input and what is actually true. But if you're grabbing it directly from the source, then, you know, there is no reconciliation to be done. And, um, you know, that that's going to be massive. So, um, then, you know, right at the beginning of the spectrum, you know, digital ID, you know, you look at the likes of the, the challenger um, uh, digital banks like your Monzo's of the world. I, I signed yeah. up for one and you can literally just record a, a 30 second video and it's all face driven and voice recognition and take a picture of your passport and it takes that away and you don't have to send originals in. And, you know, this is uh, already happening. It's a case of uh, how long it takes and who evolves uh, rather than if, if disruption is going to happen. Disruption is already happening. Disruption will win. Um, because it's not just about replacing the humans. In fact, it's far from replacing the humans. It's making the humans better, faster, more efficient. And I love to use the word or the analogy about the Iron Man. And, and that is what I think technology will bring, you know, to, to, to make things quicker and better for the human uh, so the human can focus on, on the advice aspect. Yes. I guess it's interesting if you think about the human in this. <coughs> I think there's been some predictions before around, you know, uh, would, we, would a broker be, you know, robo-broking and robo-advice and, you know, what is the future role of the broker? Particularly, actually, it's been interesting as technology has evolved, you know, if you think 2008, as I understand it, to now, actually, it's more of an intermediated market than it was back then as technology has evolved. So it's, you kind of think, uh, you know, perhaps looking from that vantage point originally, you would have predicted a different outcome. Um, so what do you, how do you uh, sort of see the future role of a broker in the context of this sort of faster moving technology uh, in the market? Yeah, I mean, in the short to medium term, uh, the broker is absolutely still an imperative part of the process. I think what the technology will allow is um, to make that broker uh, be a bit more time rich, uh, which most brokers will tell you they're very time poor at the moment because of the duplication of work, the, the photocopying, the, the, the scanning, the uploading and you know, all the paperwork. So if we can bring technology in that will make us uh, more efficient, it allows the human uh, the, the broker to focus on increasing their productivity uh, and therefore, you know, from a business perspective, writing more mortgages and from a customer perspective, you know, allowing to add value to that customer more to focus on the advice aspect uh, more than just the data gathering aspect. And I think uh, that is definitely the way, uh, you know, uh, the future has to go because it's, it's not common sense. You know, you don't need fintech to be told that, you know, before that word was even invented, you know, in 2006, when I set the business up, that was the objective to build a smooth journey from cradle to grave. You know, and ultimately, they've just wrapped that up now and they call it fintech. But, but that objective has always been there, getting technology to help, you know, um, direct the focus. So mm -hmm. I think... Um, you know the broker is very much here to stay i guess long long term you know i mean long long term if you're talking about 10 20 30 40 years who knows humans you know if you watch all the great tech films and the sci-fi films at the moment you know humans could take over the world and do operations and run the country so if they can do that i'm sure they can do mortgages as well but but i think in in an immediate term or, or even the shorter term i don't expect uh, robo advisors to, to take over the human advisors they'll be working in conjunction Yes. with to make the humans better and, and faster yes i think yeah, that we do a lot of work with uh, brokers and lenders and consistently when we do user testing uh you know that, that element of the human advice is still really important to people given particularly first-time buyers 
given the yeah. size of their kind of uh, commitment, etc. Uh, but it's all around the other stuff. Like, why have I got to send an you know, ID in the post? Why have I got to send my bank statements to another? Not just to the broker, then the you know the the lender, but also then when the solicitors doing their due diligence, etc. You know, there's a repetition here. So I guess that's you know uh, we do a lot of stuff within the mortgage market, but you know we're not directly in the mortgage market. And as a, a semi outsider, I guess it is always. You know, as you said, in 2006, it's kind of obvious how this should work in terms of plugging the various parties together, but it hasn't really necessarily really? happened to date. So you mentioned 2008, the financial crisis, obviously that had an investment uh, an impact in terms of investment in IT. What do you think the key reasons are that the, the industry is just a bit behind others, you know, particularly insurance and others, where just passing of data electronically between parties is, is a lot more commonplace? I think lending in mortgages is such a... Um, established uh, mechanism mm. that you know it's very difficult to turn an all tanker mm. you know and and the majority of the the, the players in the market are, are big big established players with proven records that do things a certain way mm. um, with the challenger banks coming you know they've been able to evolve and that's forced the, the bigger guys to evolve but I think um, you know banks make such big decisions um, uh, and it's a lot of money you know, and I think they are, um, it's difficult for them to, to quickly change because the benefit is not necessarily for them because at the end of the day, all the, air, the work that we do as brokers, they kind of don't mind as long as they get the application, right? <laughs> so, so where, you know, there's not the clear, obvious incentive mm. for the banks to invest this amount, millions of pounds of money mm. to evolve. And I think for, from a broker perspective, we're there thinking, okay, well, there's lots of things that need to be done, but you need everyone to on board. Even if I've got an agreement with one lender to not take original ID, for example, yeah. it's pointless if 90% of the other lenders don't. And having so many different variables, because you sit in the middle there with lots of different paths to different mm -hmm. lenders, getting that all to align when the biggest winner is, is the broker who's doing all the work, mm -hmm. yet the biggest amount of work is probably need to be done by the third parties. Yeah. It makes it very difficult. We will get there, mm -hmm. but I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, um, there's so many different parties involved that it's taken so long. It's not just as straightforward as changing customer habits, you know, mm. like Amazon, you know, change customers' habits. You know, people went online, they did a couple of clicks, and before you know, you've got something on your doorstep. Mm. You know, they're in control of that, you know, because they can sort the deliveries out, they can sort the nice websites and the user interfaces out. But with mortgages, the digitized mortgages requires lots of different parties to be involved. And, you know, with all the intent in the world of, of a kind of a, a, a tech based fintech type mortgage broker yeah. you might have this clear vision but if others don't have that you can only do so much with your with your systems i guess that's you know, it's starting to see you know your platforms like you know your 27 tech apply and mortgage brain have a product and iris and the connect etc i guess that that role of the intermediary trying to from a technology point of view yes becoming increasingly important I think it's been a bit, you know, there was a lot of excited talk two years ago when these things first started. To, uh, obviously, MTE's been around for a long time. but Yes, uh, MTE's been around ages. I mean, that that, that is effectively, it. you know, the, the whole purpose of MTA was yeah. was to do that. You know, you enter at one place and it goes and shoots off into the, the chosen lenders. It does seem, uh, particularly in the last year, that perhaps we've reached a tipping point where, you know, I, I think nobody's going to really forget the lessons of particularly lockdown one and that rapid innovation everyone had to do to work from home and, uh, you know, mm adopting abms and not requiring wet signatures yeah. those are good, well the irony is if there is a, anything that ever comes good out of, of covid is is probably the fact it forced players to innovate and and to become a little bit more tech savvy and uh, it probably made uh more quicker speedier decisive decisions than any cto could have ever hoped for so <laughs> so i guess if we um if we dial back to your sort of platform mm. 
working with this ecosystem it's a complicated space there's many different parties uh, but i know you've been doing investment you know thinking a lot about technology the last few years and investing in it you want to give us a bit of an overview of you know the dynamo platform and and, and what it does and, and how you developed it yeah, I mean, we, we've got a, a very bright uh, IT director. He's moved into a more innovation role, but, you know, he's he's been with me on this journey from day one. Um, yeah. And he, um, you know, we looked at lots of different platforms for our direct-to-consumer arm, first and foremost. And we quickly realised that uh, what was out there at the time, bear in mind, this was 2000, 2008, it just wasn't fit for purpose. A, because we were buy-to-let specialists um, and everything was a little bit more generic and B, the way we wanted to do things. And um, so we decided, um, having scoured the market, there was nothing quite suitable. We built something ourselves. And um, and it's really kind of bolted on from there now, you know, we're far from being perfect, you know, there's, you know, as you'd expect, a, a system which is 10 years old now, which has been bolted on a little bit has uh, its own challenges and we're constantly looking to refresh that now, but certainly um, over the, that period of time it's it's really evolved to, to a great tool, which is not just a CRM system, but also a sourcing system, mm-hmm. you know, a, a criteria guide. Um, a sales tool uh, and you know bringing all of that in once you know without having to pay a license uh, of course uh, where you'd maybe use four or five different softwares to bring that it's just been a massive benefit and has enabled us to be efficient and productive in all we do um, but you know please uh, don't think we've got uh, the be all and end all because far from it you know I'm currently in the process of really looking to what can we do to enhance that how can we continue to digitize it because you know we went on this journey 10 years ago so you know a lot has changed in those 10 years and whilst we've evolved it there's still so much uh, more to be done we've also got on our on our b2b side you know, that's much more recent we built a system called jarvis um, over the last um, year or two um, and that certainly makes things a lot more easier with live chats real-time uh, real-time case updates mm-hmm. um, and access to commission statements so um, you know we've always gone down the route of building in-house uh, rightly or wrongly um, there's probably you know you could argue for 24 hours on which is the preferred route i guess it depends on the scenario of the individual and the firm um, but that's the route we've gone, um, although we're certainly open uh, as we continue to evolve and continue to transform us digitally. Um, you know, we're, we're, we are currently looking at the, the various different options to make sure we continue to stay ahead of the curve uh, and we are as efficient and, and productive as possible. And, and with all the intent of the world, we're not yet, uh, but that's the objective and that's the focus um, and that's the hope. Okay. Interesting. And I guess um, you've probably got an interesting vantage point as well, again, from the uh, given the company's been around for the last 10 years and they've been innovating that time. Have you got any sort of lessons learned or what were, you know, were there particular key challenges you overcame uh, and any sort of advice you'd give to those brokers that perhaps a bit early on the transformation journey from a technology point of view? Well, the lessons learned is, is you know, the, the pros bringing in-house is everything I described, but the, the negatives is, you know, the, the kind of knocked over by a bus syndrome and, you know, that one person gets knocked over by a bus, then, then you're kind of left a little bit uh, exposed. Um, you know, we've tried to kind of get that knowledge uh, within the team, but, you know, ultimately you can never quite uh, replicate the same knowledge as the person who built the system. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that, that has become less of a risk now, but certainly uh, my advice would be, you know, if you do decide to build your technology in-house, you know, make sure that you've got a team of people to make sure it's fully documented, you know, especially when you're not selling a piece of software, it's very easy and, and you're not a big part of a big investment bank, it's very easy just to build on the whim. Um, you know, that might work there and then, but, you know, longer term, I think, you know, for legacy uh, continuity, um, I think it's very important you document uh, your systems and build the base. Um, and I'll also go and shop around, you know, I, I would say now the the technology within mortgages and financial services is immensely uh, and, and, and massively better than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and therefore, 
you know, make sure you speak to lots of these different parties and see mm. whether they can cater for, for what you do. And, you know, some of them are small enough to, you know, and if you spend enough money to evolve their own system to cater for your needs um, and not just a, a kind of a, a one size fits all. So I think the, the, the message and the learns would be, you know, firstly to, to document um, and, and to kind of spread that knowledge amongst a, a strong team, but also uh, to shop around and to, um, you know, um, you know, discuss at length with very uh, different third parties of what uh, your objectives are and how they can meet them because there are some very good pieces of software out there now uh, which is definitely moving at the same speed as the times are moving. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, the really exciting thing now is you know as an agency that's often kind of curating and pulling all the stuff together for a unified experiences you know your digital IDs, your AVMs, your, you know th these types of things there are services out there offering this on a SaaS model paper usage, you know, yeah. you don't have to put thousands through it necessarily. Uh, and you can build this functionality, either integrating into existing system yeah. or, or, you know, bring into something, something yeah. new at relatively low cost. Low cost now, yeah. But that wasn't the case that a few years ago, but you're yeah. absolutely spot on now. And as the market has been more, uh, has evolved and has adapted, you know, like you say, you can get uh, the kind of, um, you know, onboarding type, uh, on FIDO type um, KYC, you know, cost per um, inquiry or usage at a very reasonable price now. Um, and that opens up technology to everybody. You know, you don't have to have these deep, massive kind of uh, development budgets, which only those with, you know, millions of pound venture capital um, funding has been backed now. So I think um, you're spot on that technology is available to everyone and therefore there's no excuse. And I think it's imperative that we continue to evolve and embrace it. Yes, I guess to go back to your point, I guess the, the barriers often now, you know, there are technology barriers naturally, but you know, from a business sense, uh, it's actually around, you know, okay, you could take your digital idea at the beginning of the journey with a broker, but ideally from a customer perspective, I don't want to then have to give it again and again to different parties. So it's right. that, can you tokenize it and pass it along down the chain? It's that kind of, maybe it's technical to a degree, but it's kind of non it's more business focused kind of. It's uh, more business focused. I think technically it probably can be done, but it's whether those people that need to see it, the solicitors at the back end of the process, the lenders, you know, will they accept it? There's no point you doing all this great tech at the beginning to get their ID, but actually the lender wants you to have seen the original passport. Yeah. <laughs> I can technically get all of that uh, EIDV, but ultimately the, the, the lender won't accept it. They want me to have physically seen the passport. So what's the point of me doing it? And then again, you go the solicitor at their end, they want to see it themselves for their own eyes because they don't, uh, they can't rely on what you've seen. So this is what I'm talking about, which is why the whole process is a lot harder because it's not just reliant on what is within your own gift, within your own business. Um, and then I guess there's the other thing, you know, from a regulatory point of view and uh, that we are starting, there's been a few kind of government initiatives around digital mm. as well. And I think, you know, I'm always an optimist in life. It does feel like momentum, you know, AVMs has kind of really kind of hit taken off in Western etc. Uh, I think we're there. I think I think all the parties appreciate the direction of travel and, and no one kind of denies it. It's, it's at what speed we're going in that direction and, and um, you know, what we can all do to, to kind of um, help us along. So, um, yeah, I, th I think well, it's an invasion of uh, 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 18 months old. And, uh, uh, I know that feeling. Um, I, you know, I know that feeling that I purposely uh, arranged with you to be at this time so my children are not screaming because uh, they're in their afternoon naps. But <laughs> So, yeah, well, I guess the final summary is um, you published a book last year. I did. Uh, really interesting. And I guess it was a combination of, you know, personal, uh, your story, but also a lot of tips and hints for entrepreneurs out there. And I think you've got some really useful kind of insights to share. Uh, 
I guess a lot of people talk about writing a book and, you know, to say everyone's got a book in them, but not, not that many people actually follow through. What sort of prompted you to, you know, write the book and get it out there? And I'd love to sort of hear how, uh, you yeah, was. well, you're right. I think everyone's got a book. Everyone's got a story, haven't they, to tell. But um, it's one thing saying and do it. But but that's my mindset and my motto. You know, I'm a person, if I say something, I'm going to do it, I'm doing it. Um, and uh, the actual catalyst finally was uh, when my mum sadly passed away in 2018. Um, and I had the, my twin girls, um, uh, you know, and my wife was pregnant with, um, and um, I said, you know, my, my children are probably too young to kind of appreciate any of the tips and the stories I tell them now. So mm-hmm. I wanted to put it on paper. It was never about the sales, never about, you know, uh, anything else, but passing a legacy to my children. You know, I probably lost money, you know, as good as the book has done in terms of getting traction, you know, it's not an expensive thing to do. And um, I'm lucky enough that I had a publisher in Wiley um, that, that wanted to snap up the rights to it um, and, and that makes it a lot easier for me um, but you know it means there's very small margins uh, in it for me but for me the biggest achievement is putting some some of my learns and my stories on a piece of paper and leaving a legacy with my children and, and the story um, and the the book really brings a balance of my own personal story but also how I've uh, learned from my life lessons to evolve and to develop myself to become a successful entrepreneur and business person and and the title don't push too many trolleys is all about um you know, my experience when I worked at Asda, my first one of my first jobs pushing trolleys and I wanted to do everything efficiently. So, you know, just like we're talking about productivity in Ironman. So rather than going and getting one trolley every single time, I wanted to put 20 trolleys because I now only need to walk up once and come back once. Um, makes perfect logic, except for the fact if you push too many, you're going to crash. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what I did on my first day. I crashed into a car. Um, I got pulled in um, and I almost lost my job. So um it's 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 you know it's making sure you only can take on as much as you can handle um i've learned the hard way a couple of times but i'm trying to learn uh, the, now that you know you've got to know when to say no stop but it is that analogy of uh, spinning too many plates or juggling too many balls yeah. um and lots of other life's uh, antidotes in there i talk about my father's story um who's given me the the inspiration that has made me the person i am today you know he hitchhiked from malaysia to um the uk with 20 pound in his pocket you know uh, went through lots of trials and tribulations almost died a, a number of times um but you know that's 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 a podcast episode in its own right by itself so i won't go into the details of that but you know that is his hard work his sacrifices and his dedication from a small village in in, in asia hitchhiking all the way to the uk in 1959 has been a massive inspiration for me and um and seeing how hard he and my mother had to work uh, raising me to give me the opportunities um, gave me the impetus and the focus and drive to be successful myself and uh, of course um, you know uh, I have my own family now and I've got five uh, wonderful children and they form my why um, and I want to con- continue to work hard and, and you know give them the opportunities it's not about having money to buy them anything they want because uh, that won't, won't be a good thing for when they get older but it's mm-hmm. about giving them the opportunities to choose the route they want to take in life um, and, and that's what I uh, hope I do but um yeah, and, and, and I think like everybody, you've got to know what your why is um, and you've got to know what your reason for doing what you do is. Um, and I certainly know mine um, and it allows me to wake up every morning with a bounce in my foot. I'm extremely passionate about helping people. I'm extremely passionate about our industry. And I genuinely believe that, you know, if, uh, if we all club together and we add value that, that we are in a wonderful uh, industry and, and despite the horrible economic times, um, and and a global pandemic that we we have we will get through this eventually, um, and you know we will continue to thrive and continue to evolve, and and that's the same uh, mindset and analogy that's needed in everything in life. Mm. 
Yeah, no, it's always a really uh, positive message in there. Uh, and I guess, love the book. One thing I didn't like was you're a Liverpool fan. I'm, I'm an well, this is, this is always the danger. Uh, I'm in danger of alienated a good chunk of the population, but hopefully they can get past that and, uh, and uh, you know, read the rest of the book. But yeah, uh, a Liverpool fan for my sins. And uh, if you'd uh, interviewed me, uh, you know, a month ago, I'd be happily smiling. But I think very quickly we should cut that subject off since uh, <laughs> the Reds are not doing as well at the moment. So I guess uh, all good bookshops, Amazon, etc. I guess that's if people... Yeah, Amazon, you know, you can go to Amazon, type in Don't Push Too Many Trolleys. Um, yeah. It's hardback book, as you've seen there. Equally, you can go directly to the website, don'tpushtoomanytrolleys.com. No, no, it's .co.uk, I uh, beg your pardon. Um, but yeah, you know, either way, uh, you can get, get the book from them. And, uh, um, you know, I hope you enjoy the read. Hope you get some nuggets of inspiration. And, um, you, know, um, you know, would love to get some feedback. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, I highly recommend. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your time today. It was great to speak. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up a bit later in the year and uh, see Dynamo's further development um, over the year goes. Look forward to it. Mark, been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.